stop clicking buttons. We believe we are in the uh, eighth doctrine today, and it is the doctrine of justification. Um, Hello? Oh, there it is. The eighth, we're in the eighth doctrine, of, uh, which is the doctrine of justification. Um, I don't think, Nikki, did you announce, is that all for Junior Church that just left? Okay, good, wonderful. Uh, and so, uh, as I normally do, we're going to begin with what our doctrine actually says, and then we're going to, to move through it. And it says this, We believe that we are justified by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, and that he that believeth hath the witness in himself. Uh, I'm interested in this doctrine. Uh, generally, uh, every couple of years, there's something called the Doctrine Council of the Salvation Army, and they meet together. Uh, and actually, uh, Nikki and I, we have a friend who for a while was actually on that Doctrine Council. Uh, and every time that she was going to go, I begged her that she could uh, actually get this doctrine changed because it's the only one that uses the word hath. Hath. It's not a word we use very often anymore. Uh, he that believeth hath the witness in himself, uh, rather than haves or, uh, or a modern word. That being said, this is the doctrine of justification. Justification is... Uh, sorry, my wife, could you turn up, while you're there, could you just turn up number one, there's a level down the bottom. Can you just turn that up ever so slightly so I can hear myself? Ah, there we go. That's better. I feel like if I was in here, it was a little weird. But back here, it's a little better. And so today we're going to be talking about justification. Now, this is a uh, theological principle that is found in Scripture. And so today, if you're an A-type personality and you want to take notes on the back of your bulletin, what you have to write down are these three words or phrases. First off is justification. The second is grace through faith. And the third is the witness. So justification, grace through faith, and the witness. And those are the three points that we're going to be talking about today from this doctrine. <clears throat> and so first, an overview, or rather a definition, justification is Christ in Christian theology is God's act of removing the guilt and penalty of sin while at the same time declaring a sinner righteous through Christ's atoning sacrifice. Now, it gets a little complicated. When we, when we talk about salvation, we say, believe in Jesus and you are saved. And that is correct, but that in itself is an umbrella over the different acts that happen underneath salvation. Uh, and so if you just believe that you were saved uh, through salvation and that's all that you believe, that's cool, but it gets a little bit more in-depth than that. Uh, and so we're going to explore the process or the act of justification today in this sermon. And so justification is the act of your sin being removed. It is the, is the you... Uh, you as a sinful person believing in Jesus and his atoning work on the cross being declared righteous through Jesus. Are you with me so far? Yes, excellent. Because this can get a little bit complicated a little bit quickly. If you think the word justification is a little difficult to remember or a little difficult to understand, basically the way of uh, remembering this word is to, in your mind, say, just as if I never sinned. Justification is as if or just as if you had never sinned when you stand before God Almighty. And so today we're going to look about that uh, atoning work of justification. 
<clears throat> and justification, righteousness from God is credited to the sinner's account through faith alone without works. And we've gone over this in the last couple of weeks, but it bears uh, over and over and over again repeating that there is nothing that you can do through your good works to be saved. If you've ever been told, you know, just work hard enough, clean up your life, stop swearing, stop doing this, stop doing that, stop doing that, and then Jesus will love you and you can be a Christian. That's, n- that's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. There is nothing in yourself that you can do to be saved. It is only through the imputed work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary that you are saved. It is only believing in Jesus. There is nothing that you can do to add to your own salvation. And so when you look at people who are saved and they're doing all these good stuff, they're not doing the good stuff to be saved. They're doing the good stuff because they are saved. And what we believe is that when you become a Christian and Jesus Christ changes your heart and your life, what out, uh, what flows out of your life from that point is good works. You want to help people. You want to be a good person. You want to represent Christ well in this world. And so that comes from the change of heart that is rendered through the justification of Jesus Christ. Amen? The book of Philippians says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation that uh, that, and that from God. So what he is saying is... uh, if I'm with you and I can see your actions, great, but I should be able to hear from another country how good you guys are, are doing in the gospel, how well you're standing side by side as a family of faith and how well you are standing in one spirit. I mean, have you ever been to churches where that side of the congregation doesn't talk to that side of the congregation? I, I didn't grow up in the Salvation Army. I came from, uh, I was raised, uh, uh, baptized rather in the Episcopalian Church and then uh, became a Pentecostal for a brief period of time. A little bit of a switch, let me tell you. So I, I have experiences outside of the Salvation Army. And so this is not speaking directly to the Army, but to the church in general. And in some churches, even with congregations as small as this, some people don't know each other. Some people don't know someone else's name. They see them every week, you know, that, that, that awkward, yeah, but that's it. And what Paul says is in our faith, we should be standing side by side in faith, that you and I should treat this gathering not just as this ritualistic thing that, oh, it's, it's Sunday, it's 10.45, we should start if Captain Nikki ever gets on stage on time. Uh, ooh, I'm, I'm going to be paying for that later, but it's okay. It's a good thing that the recording only picks up the audio here and not out there. It's fantastic. <clears throat> it's not, Christianity isn't this ritualized thing that we've made it to be. Um, that means that it, it is good for us to, to join together and worship. It's good for us to build each other up in the faith. The scripture says that iron sharpens iron in the same way we discuss the Bible and we talk about the Bible but, and we have this Christian fellowship of believers and it's all good and holy and righteous. But sometimes what we do is we take this formulaic Christian thing and we put it higher than the Christ that we worship. And somehow in some traditions, the ritualistic elements become more important 
than the intention. In some, even salvation armies, are you singing a song out of the Red Songbook? If you're not, whoa. In one of my appointments, I was asked by a lady, I won't mention her specifically by name, but she asked me if I played any brass instruments. And I said, nope, I don't play any brass instruments. A horn will never touch my lips. And she said to me in a very sincere position, then why are you in the Salvation Army? And I turned to her, and I was a little bit flippant. I shouldn't have been. I repented later. But I said, because I love Jesus. Sometimes the ritualistic elements of our worship become more important than the God that we worship. And one of the things that I am very, very aware of is our traditions become extremely comfortable for us. There is comfort in knowing that we're going to start at 10.45 with some welcome and announcements, then we're going to have our call to worship, then we're going to have three songs, then we're going to have prayer and praise, then we're going to have tithes and offerings, then we're going to have whatever comes next and what comes next. I make a bulletin every single week that Marvin hands out wonderfully. But do we need it? Because it doesn't change week in, week out. Scripture reference does. But our order of service, I'm not sure if you noticed, it doesn't change because we're very comfortable in the tradition. And I just want to challenge you today, if you've got a tradition, either in worship or even in the way you act in this building, challenge it. Is there someone in this building that you don't regularly say good morning to? Is there someone in this building that you don't know them by name? Take today as an embarrassment-free zone even if you have to walk up to them and say, hey, I have known you, like we've been coming here for the last 25 years. I don't know your name. Don't worry about it. Talk to each other. Love each other. Stand side by side in the faith. Paul continues on and says, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I am alive. Salvation and justification does not guarantee that you are going to live a perfect life, that nothing ever is going to go wrong. Every single person in this room knows from a matter of experience that something in your life eventually will go long, go wrong. Uh, the expression that I heard is, if, if you live long enough, you will bleed. It is a fact of being human that things are going to go wrong. People will make fun of you for your faith in Christ. People are going to make fun of you for your commitment to the church. Really, that's such backwards thinking. That's really, really, you're not, not, you're so dumb that you believe that. Really, you need to be intelligent and believe in something else. Why do you believe in that ancient hokey pokey stuff? We will be persecuted for our belief, but we will stand. And that's why that standing side to side, shoulder to shoulder is so important because when the outside world starts to persecute you, it is so much rougher if you were standing alone. You stand in Christ and he has your back, but he made us to be creatures of community and and to have comfort in that community. That's why loneliness is so real. A recent Pew survey Uh, asked the question, how often do you feel lonely? And some 75% of the respondents responded all the time. That in a world that is more connected through technology than it's ever been in the history of civilization, 
we as a people and a society feel more alone than we ever have in the history of civilization. Stand together for the sake of the gospel. Paul's point in this passage is also that salvation comes from God, that it does not come from any other source. Salvation is from Christ alone. We live in a world that tells you that there are multiple ways to God, there are multiple ways to salvation, that if, you, if you're just a good person, you do good things, you do good works, if you, you help the poor and do this and do that and do this, then you'll get to heaven because God will honor the intentions of your heart. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said that there is only one way to salvation, only one way to the Father, and that is through belief in him. Salvation comes from God. There is no other source. Ephesians 2 Verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, and raised up, uh, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a uh, result of works, so that not no one may boast. What Paul says is this, that your salvation comes from God, so that you can't walk around saying, look at me, I'm saved because I'm awesome. I'm saved because God loved me so much that he just had to have me in, in heaven, and it's because I'm such a wonderful person. My favorite, One of my favorite expressions is this, you are not all that in a bag of chips. Have you ever heard that expression before? If not, get used to it. I say it often. When, when we look at our lives through the eyes of God, without him, we are not all that. We're definitely not a bag of chips. The work of salvation is from Christ so that you and I can't walk around saying, I'm saved because I am awesome. I am saved because I'm just so great. Instead, we are saved by grace through faith so that we cannot boast other than in the work of Christ Jesus. Now, when you hear the word boast, a lot of you are going to say, yeah, yeah, Marcus, don't boast. That's it. I got down with that. Did you know that you're to boast in your salvation through Christ? It's the way that people know that you're saved. When you go up and people say, hey, you used to be this wretched person. You used to be this weak-minded person. You used to be this horrible person. What changed? We are saved so that we can say Christ. What changed in your behavior? What changed in your outlook? What changed in your attitude? Christ. Christ alone. Paul said this in the book of Romans, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. 
For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It is Christ who justifies. It is Christ who brings justification to our lives. It is nothing to do with us. It is nothing to do with us. It is simply grace through faith. Martin Luther said this, um, actually, uh, I'm not there yet, sorry. Uh, Martin Luther was a great uh, man of the Protestant Reformation. He was one of the first to articulate this doctrine, and he uh, uh, essentially said it is the doctrine called solified, which means faith alone, and it asserts God's pardon for guilty sinners is granted to and received through faith conceived as excluding all works alone. So basically what Martin Luther said in a very complicated way is that your salvation is granted and received simply through faith. And he was articulating what the Apostle Paul was saying. He said, all humanity is fallen and sinful under the curse of God. We talked about that when we talked about Doctrine 5 and original sin and incapable of saving itself from God's wrath and the curse. But God, on the basis of life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ alone, which is what Martin Luther articulated as solus Christus, grants sinners judicial pardon or justification, which is solely received through faith. And what it means is to be justified as if you imagine you were standing in front of a judge and you've been accused of something, that, that you are guilty of something, and you were standing in front of the judge, and the judge says... You are pardoned. You are free. You are just as if you never sinned. Martin Luther said this, This one and firm rock which we call the doctrine of justification is the chief article of the whole Christian doctrine which comprehends the understanding of all godliness. He called this doctrine Articulus Stantis et Cadentis Ecclesia. I know, you're all coming. You know what I wanted today is I wanted someone to yell at me in Latin. It simply means the article of the standing and falling of the church. What Martin Luther said is if this article of justification stands, the church stands, and if it falls, the church falls. And what he means by that is if you ever get a preacher who tries to preach that you are saved, justification plus anything else, the church will fall and cease to be the church and the body of Christ. If you get someone who stands up here and says, no, this is it, salvation through Christ alone, through faith, and we are justified in that, on that is the bedrock of our Christian faith. So like I said, you were saved in Jesus. That's the umbrella, but there are different terms underneath that umbrella that we used. And today what we talk about is the justification. And our doctrine ends with this. He that believeth hath the witness in himself. What's the witness? Well, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you is the witness to your change of heart. The Holy Spirit can't dwell in you if you are not saved. Now, I know. 
the church gets accused of being exclusive a lot. Oh, you have to do X, Y, and Z. You're, you're excluding people who don't want to do that. No, we're actually very inclusive. We read a scripture that said that, that God is offering the salvation to all people. All is a pretty inclusive term. I'm not sure if you, if you know that. In the Greek, do you know what all means? Everyone. Yeah, there's nothing more complicated than that. However, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is a special gift given to us by God as Christians. The Holy Spirit can only dwell in your life if you believe in Jesus, if you've gone through the steps of salvation and justification. And so when our doctrine ends with, he that believeth hath the Spirit in himself, he that believeth hath the witness, rather, in himself, The way that we witness to the world is through our changed lives. The book of Romans says that we are being conformed into the image of the Son, Jesus. The word conformed there is, it means if you you grab a big block of marble and you say, I'm going to make a statue, and you start chiseling off pieces of marble and you eventually reveal the picture underneath. Think of the, the great... Uh, artistic work, the David, that when it was created, it started as a huge slab of marble and the artist stood in front of it and stared at it for weeks on end and then picked up a chisel and picked up a hammer and started going to work, chiseling off chunks of rock. In the same way, Christ the Father and the Holy Spirit is chiseling pieces of your sinful nature off of you to reveal the image of Jesus Christ underneath. So that when you go out into this world, people don't see you, they see Jesus. They don't see the sinful person anymore because the old is gone and the new has come. In Christ, you are a new creation. That new creation is the image of Jesus in your life. That's why Jesus said that you need to be the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. If you've ever been driving across a plains, flat desert land, and you see a city in the distance, the first thing that you see in the nighttime, in the dark, are the lights. You don't see individual features. You don't see buildings. You see lights. In the same way, this world is a dark place. You don't believe me? Turn on the news. Watch any news channel. Watch conservative news, watch liberal news, it doesn't matter. You watch the news, you will see that this world is a dark place. And the only light, the only light that is going to illuminate the darkness is that of Christ Jesus. And Christ chooses to shine that life through the life of the Christian. The Holy Spirit dwells on you and in you. I'm going to end with this. It was read to us in the very first line when Bart read a scripture. He said this, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Very often after you have become a Christian and you've been a Christian for a while, temptation seeps into your life and you sin again. It happens. The thing that that needs to happen is once you sin, you need to repent of it. Something we don't teach a lot of, and I think we may, might need to get back to it, is that you, you repent before God for your salvation, but if you continue to sin afterwards, you still need to repent. You still need to see, say sorry. 
A few weeks ago, we talked about that Scripture says that against you, God, and you only have I sinned. So you go out and you lose your temper. You need to repent of that because that sin is against God, not just against the person that you lost your temper with. When you get angry, when you get upset, when you lie, when you cheat, when you steal, when you break the commandments that God has given you in Scripture, we need to repent. And see, so what happens is in in the life of the believer, you have been saved, you have been justified, everything is going well, and suddenly then you stumble on the path of sanctification and you sin. And what happens is that the enemy, Satan, comes to you and he starts whispering in your ears lies. He starts whispering, well, you sinned, you mustn't be a very good Christian, are you? Oh, you, you messed up, you lost your temple. Not sure Jesus can really love you. Am I, am I wrong? Give me a little bit of feedback here. Uh, some of you are just staring at me like you're asleep. Give me a little bit of feedback here. Uh, have you ever done this? Have you ever slipped up and felt though that, that guilt that is not from Christ, not from God, I'm not talking about the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but the extra guilt that comes from another source that tries to tell you that you are no longer good enough, that you have been saved, you love Jesus, but now that you are sinning, you're not good enough anymore. You're not good enough for Christ. And that voice is pervasive and gets into your brain and gets into your ear. And suddenly you start thinking, man, that little voice is right. I can't can't go to church. I'd be a hypocrite if I went to church and I sat with all these these people who love Jesus and know Jesus and love Jesus and, and, and are good with Jesus. And that little voice comes and tells you, you're not good enough. What the Apostle Paul said is this and if you even if you're not an a-type personality find this scripture in your bible highlight it underline it if it's in your phone bookmark it who can bring any charge against god's elect don't get worried about that word elect it simply means chosen the ones that God has chosen and has adopted into his family, who can bring a charge against them? It is God who justifies. It doesn't matter if you slip up, if you repent of it and you repent towards God and you make amends to the person that you wronged. It doesn't matter if you slip up as long as it's not habitual. We'll get to that in another sermon. But if you slip up and you repent, there is no one that can bring a charge against you. There is no one that can say to you, you are not good enough. There is no one that can say to you, you do not deserve the grace of God anymore. There is no one that can say to you, you do not deserve to be a Christian anymore because it is God and God alone who justifies through faith in Jesus himself. And so today, I want to end simply with this. Who can bring a charge against you? The answer is simple. No one. Don't let the enemy rob you of your joy. And in the power of Christ Jesus, don't let the enemy try and rob you of your salvation. Because that doubt that creeps into your brain is the thin end of the wedge and that wedge gets bigger and bigger and bigger as it keeps on saying oh you sinned this once what if you sin again man don't go don't go to don't 
go to church, there are, there are people there that are going to judge you for it. And then when you're not in church, you don't have that fellowship of believers. You're not being sharpened as iron sharpens iron and you're not knowing what Scripture really says and you, and you lose that in yourself and suddenly you start wandering away from the hand of God. This can rob a person of salvation. Don't let the enemy in. When you mess up, and I guarantee 100% we've all messed up probably in the last couple of hours. Let's be honest about that. Don't let the enemy in. Don't let him rob you of your joy or your salvation because we believe that we are justified by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and that he that believeth hath the witness in himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, that we are indeed justified by grace through faith in Jesus alone and that everyone, everyone can know who Jesus is and everyone can come and be adopted into the family of God through salvation in Jesus. I pray, Lord God, that for each one of us here, that the Holy Spirit shines through our life so that when people look at us, they don't see us, they see Jesus. And that, Lord, when we mess up and we sin, that you help us to acknowledge it, repent, ask for forgiveness, but that then we do not react to the enemy whispering in our ears. Lord, we love you. We know we can't do this through our own strength that we have to do it through the strength of the Holy Spirit who indwells in the hearts of all that believe. We pray these things in your precious name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.